Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Vesperisms, the art of thinking for yourself. I'm your host, author-illustrator Vesper Stamper, and this is your weekly 20-minute recalibration of your artistic worldview. So grab your coffee and have a seat in my studio, and let's have a chat. One of the foundational principles of Vesperisms is that an artistic worldview is human-centered, and that this takes place both inwardly in our relationship to our own bodies and outwardly in our relationship to others. Today, I want to explore the first part of that idea further, namely, understanding our relationship to our own bodies. This is Vesperism's Episode 3, Embodiment. In our last episode, Creating Through Crisis, I touched on embodiment in light of what we're all experiencing during this pandemic that's gripped the world. Just saying that, gripped the world, has a bodily connotation to it. Who of us is not walking around with a pit in our stomach right now? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm wearing a straitjacket, confined, not just in my home, but in my body. Now more than ever, I want to escape confinement. I want to go. I want to do. If I were a character from a play, I'd be action from West Side Story. In fact, here's a secret. When I get wound up, I actually tell myself under my breath, cool it, action, because I just want to bust. But there's a level of this that's true at any time, this desire to bust out of our skin. Times of crisis bring it to the forefront, sure, but I'd venture to say we all have conflicting relationships with our bodies in one form or another, whether it's from injuries or eating disorders or feeling inadequate about how we look or frustration about not being able to push our bodies to perform the way we want. So today I want to shift our focus from the current events of the pandemic to a broader understanding of how we can think about our bodies through an artistic worldview. And I believe that that will trickle down to the particulars that you and I need in any time. Let's talk about the five senses. Take yourself back to first grade or kindergarten or whenever you can remember learning about them. Maybe you did a little construction paper project with cutouts of an ear or a nose, remember? So take a moment and listen to this afresh. Your eyes see, your ears Here, your nose smells, your mouth tastes, and your skin feels. Isn't that incredible? Have you ever really connected with this simple truth that these are things that your body does? Not your mind, not your will, not your emotions, but your physical body. It's like your body is a big sponge, always taking in information and sensation. We're sensual beings. It's not a dirty word. We perceive the world around us all the time, every day, by what our senses, our bodies absorb through what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste, and what we touch. Let that sink in a moment. Isn't it a miracle? Now take it out a level to what we think about what we take in. That these little parts of our flesh, the human eye or ear or mouth, are the vehicles through which we perceive something like beauty. And then think about your hands. Many artistic media are created through the hands. Visual art or playing an instrument, for example. Think of the intricacies of the tiny little bones and muscles and nerves that have to happen to make these precise little micro movements in order to communicate a Bach fugue or an oil paint glaze. And oh my goodness, the fact that your senses can work in cooperation with your hands, that you take sensory information in, it goes to this organ in your skull and processes through your fingers, that you can see with your eyes that run of 16th notes on a page and immediately, or in my case, over the embarrassing course of hours and months, translate it through your hands to something your ears then pick up and then perceive in your soul as beautiful 
or even heartbreaking, even as you're creating it. It's moving just to think about it. But artists struggle just like anyone else with their relationships to their bodies, and sometimes more so. Some artists will negate and ignore their bodies by not eating or sleeping. Some downright abuse their bodies through alcohol or drugs or food or self-harm. For some of us, it becomes so much about the work that we wish we could detach from our bodies completely in order to have more purity, more muse, more, and here's an unpopular word, transcendence. And so we separate ourselves from every other part of our bodies except these tiny sensory organs and our hands. But what if the rest of our bodies are calling out to be just as much a part of our creativity as those little parts? I know one thing visual artists like myself are prone to is back issues, for example. But what if our spines were as important to our work as our hands? What if our legs getting us out for a daily walk were vital to the creation of our novels? And in fact, a healthy majority of authors would tell you that that's true. Right now we're living with a lot of fear about our health and it can cause us to be divided from ourselves in a way. So what does it mean to fully occupy your own body? I recently spoke with my friend Troy Bronzink. He's an author and director of The Hive, a center for contemplation, art, and action in Cincinnati, Ohio. I thought he'd be the perfect person for me to talk to about this because he helped me with my own struggle with reconciling my relationship with my body, specifically as it relates to making work. So I thought he could help all of us think about this, and not only that, but put it into practice. I'll also post the full interview with Troy as a separate episode. So we started working together about five years ago, four or five years ago, when you were giving me spiritual direction, specifically because of this concept of embodiment. I was trying to more fully empathize with my character of Gerta Rausch in my novel, What the Night Sings. But I was struggling in trying to connect not only to her, but also feeling connected with my own body. I wanted to kind of empathize with her and feel what she would have felt. Can you tell me what you remember about that time of us working together and where you thought, what you thought about where I was at at that time? What I recall is the, uh, the desire to uh, be present to this character arising in you, um, like recognizing that the, the character and the, the landscape of her life and this experience that is fictional and historical and that, that but there was something about allowing it to happen in you rather than this question of kind of forcing it um, and kind of a gentleness of going, as this is arising, uh, how do I give words to it? I think maybe sometimes, you know, artists talk about the difference between showing and telling. And I think you were trying to feel your way into showing the experience as opposed to um, the desire to get ahead of it mentally and tell the experience and try to persuade folks. So it felt like it was a kind of a softening of the heart to the heartbreak and possibility so that uh, the expression came from that place. I think it, that's a great way to put it with the showing versus the telling, because we always hear that as writers, that that's the approach that we want to take. I think the capacity of the artist to soften our heart rather than uh, galvanize ourselves against that we kind of keep uh, softening towards opening. Howard Thurman has this uh, image. Uh, He was a um, civil rights leader and a mentor to Dr. King, a a pastor. And he had this line where he would say, um, in every human, there is an ocean. 
and on that ocean is an island and on that island is an altar and in front of that altar is an angel with a flaming sword and the only way past that angel with that flaming sword the only way to that altar is to have written across my forehead this is who i am the only way to get across past that angel to that altar is to know the fluid area of my consent that line the fluid area of my consent i think is that softening can i allow my heart to be broken to what i'm present to can i allow my heart to continue to expand to what's unfolding in front of me and so then what you're showing then is your own vulnerable act rather than telling somebody else's act right wow i love that balance between the commonality and the specific that you're getting at mm -hmm. where maybe a historian would be telling the common story mm -hmm. whereas the artist might come in with their particulars and by embodying you know by taking in those particulars of the story that you're trying to tell that's how you get to the heart of a, of a specific character or a specific work i love that image of of the ocean and the island so it's just it's drawing in and becoming more and more specific until it's just about the one you know yeah. the one person I mean, or the one place at the altar it makes me think a little bit about the uh, you know controversy around uh, method acting um that in one sense what what a method actor does is allow their heart to be broken so that's what's shown on stage or on screen is their very heart broken not them playing the heart of someone else's heart being broken um, and we know that that can wrench a person, right? And we know artists that can leave it all on the stage because they're able to do just that. Contemplative work and somatic work is about um, creating um, a passageway so that I can be so at home with myself that I can allow my heart to be broken, but it doesn't have purchase on, uh, there's, there's less to be afraid of and you can return home. There's a, a saying, uh, um, but a saying that says uh the bad news is we're falling and there's no parachute and there's nothing to hold on to and the good news is there is no bottom hmm. and so uh, uh i think the reason why we we know some artists uh hit rock bottom so hard is that they're they're falling without uh a sense of like do i have the capacity to, to keep falling through this without it um ravaging me smashing you at, and, the, at the end yeah it. yeah and so it's kind of a both end uh, this this body work so why do you think it's important for artists and creative people to understand their own relationship to their physical bodies to create is to learn the channel of this body of mine and so the intimacy with that like that my voice and my hands and my posture are the brush with which I paint or the pen with which I write. And so it's coming home to myself. Uh, John O'Donoghue has this quote where he talks about vocation being something that we kind of extract ourselves and we are, we're an objective viewer trying to make ourselves into something else. And we use our will like a hammer and it becomes externalistic and we find ourselves in a famine of our own making. If my body is my own, um, tool in my own home then to become acquainted with it creates the the ease needed to express what 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 i'm deeply called or kind of longing to be a part of um you know what's the the ten thousand hours we spend ten thousand hours in our body but we aren't conscious of it and so right. we've spent all this time actually seeing our body like a 
like a house we've purchased and we're so excited about it and we want everybody else to see this house, but we don't know how to get into the house. <laughs> so we're all looking through the windows, talking that way about our lives. And if you can move into your own life um, and grieve what's there and celebrate what's there, bear the weight of what's there, um, then then your life can become more congruent with uh, with what you're creating. And, um, and I think everybody's trying to make that journey. Um, right. And so when an artist has made that journey, her work uh, kind of pulls that out in another and they're like, oh, I wanna, I'm, I'm ready to um, move into that space. Right, I, I really deeply resonate with that tool versus home. Like those two things don't need to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I know for so many years, I saw my body or my hand, just my hands, my disembodied mm-hmm. hands, you know, as the tool, <laughs> right? Or maybe my eyes and my hands together as this multi-tool, you know, yeah. but never saw my body as my home, which was also a safe place to retreat to, you know, at the end of a long day or even while I'm creating work. It never felt that way. It always felt like something I had to wield or punish, uh you know, yeah. in order to make the work. Well, and I think I, I know a number of artists that not, not, a, not across the board, but I know a number like singer songwriters and some graphic designers and others that fall into this kind of modern uh, Western approach, which is I, I wield these tools and then on the weekend or whatever your weekend ends up being, I, I let them go. I burn them all the, the ground because I don't Mm -hmm. care about them. And then I wield them again. And and so we never actually find what it's like to be satisfied with this body of ours, to be satisfied with the life we're in the midst of living. And, uh, and so Sabbath or rest, whatever your weekend looks like becomes um, disembodied. And, uh, and then work also is disembodied because you're just leveraging and pressuring yourself to create a thing. And if both your rest and your work um, we're good for the soil of your own bones um, because you've done good uh, um, crop rotation. Then, uh, then, then your then your body enjoys this ride you're on, and you can and your tears can be your healing, and you can be present mm. to what's what's happening right now. Oh, I love that. I mean, what a contrast to the kind of typical artist trope of you know the the Hemingway, you know, lying in his bed getting drunk at the same, you know, or uh, just yeah. going out and partying on the weekend and trying to further numb and disembody from yourself and then expect your body to go to work for you on Monday morning. That's really profound. Yeah. yeah. Would you offer something to our listeners that they can do to kind of make peace with our our bodies and our spaces right now, especially for one thing, when we're, we're afraid of our bodies becoming sick and we're also dealing with the separation from other people and being much more alone than we're used to being. The, the inner landscape of your body, uh, it goes infinitely in. So, uh, some folks would say like, if you want to touch the cosmos, you put your hand out and you've touched it. Like it's, it's not out beyond our reach. It's coming to Right. right here. The same, uh, the same is true. The, the, the infinite landscape of what's happening within you, and uh, and so it doesn't have to be an escape. It actually is a, it is a homecoming, a returning home. But here's how this practice would work. Uh, and I'm borrowing a lot from Wendy Palmer's work here. Uh, and if you want to close your eyes, you can, or if you want to just kind of find a soft, um, kind of a soft focus, uh, kind of looking down um, 
and for a minute just take a couple breaths notice the body rising and falling with your breath just to get us started here and we're breathing from our bellies like a singer would breathe and you notice the weight of your body maybe you've thought of your body as being a collection of molecules kind of marble shaped just let those marbles kind of change to a chocolate chip shape where they're heavy on the bottom the body settle in and then from this place uh, place your mind's eye on about uh, um, 10 feet ahead of you maybe you're in a room maybe your computer's against the wall and you're looking at the wall so you have to kind of imagine further out and without looking there, just imagine your attention on that space and then walk that attention closer to the distance of the screen you're using right now or a book you might be holding in your hand. And then walk that attention even closer to right up against your chest, moving through the body. And for this moment, just noticing the space four or five inches behind you. spend so much of our time viewing the wallet-sized picture version of ourselves um, or the zoom window version of ourselves we don't recognize all this space we're inhabiting so just notice that space behind you from the crown of your head across the back and shoulders past the uh, sit bones and hamstrings and the heels into the floor and just notice that whole field behind you that uh that's still kind of part of your realm or part of your world. And similarly with the left side, so start with the crown of the head, the left side of the face and the neck, noticing your shirt on your shoulder and your arm, and your ribs and the hip and knee and ankle into the floor and just notice that whole field to your left, almost like you're standing by a radiator and you can feel some of the heat. And then sweep that attention slowly through the center of the body like you've slowed the film down on a broom. It's just slowly sweeping through the center of your body, making its way to the right side. And then you're outside the right side of your body. And similarly, going from the crown of the head to the right side of the face, the temple and cheek and ear and jaw. Off of that to the shoulder and arm, the ribs, the hip and knee and ankle. And now you're noticing that similar like the warmth of a radiator or the steam off of a large fountain, the mist. Just noticing that space to the right of you. And then now let that attention come back to the center of the body. It's like a pendulum slowing down till it becomes still in the middle of the body. And all the experiences you've had in life, all the stories that you've carried with you, those stories have happened around this body of yours and all those experiences have happened in this body of yours. And right now, for this minute, our bodies are sharing an experience. Now start with the crown of the head dropping down through the busy brain. It's grateful for all that it's done on purpose and all the reactions and all the um, unconscious things it does automatically. Down to behind the eyes, between the ears, past the sinuses and palate into the mouth. It's grateful for all that the mouth has done all you've said and tasted and 
breathe and following that to the root of the tongue and swallowing and noticing the center of the neck. Following that down through the beating heart and past the solar plexus to the breath, like a large balloon in the middle of the body there. Hafiz, the Sufi mystic, says that there's a, the only air that the divine breathes is the air that I'm breathing. This body of yours experiencing this moment. And as you notice, uh, fight, flight, freeze, and submit kind of as survival strategies amidst all the coronavirus scares. Just notice how that hit your body right now when I said that. And just return to that breath, to this body of yours, the gift that you have of your body. Notice when fear or anger or anxiety arise. Just honor that. When tears and laughter arise, when boredom arises, when you find yourself sleepy, just notice it all. Live into the question, into the life you have right now, as Rilke would say. And from this place, uh, just honoring that inner landscape, almost imagine if you had taken your shoes off now and you're just kind of walking out, backing out slowly with reverence, acknowledging what's happening within you. Tell you slowly acknowledge what's happening as your whole life, this body of yours. The trauma that's written on your body, the joys and the memories, the things you've already forgotten, things yet to happen in this body. And slowly opening your eyes and uh, returning to your work from a place that's uh, maybe a little bit more uh, at home. Thank you so much, Troy. You bet, Vesper. Thanks for the invitation. As I've been speaking about the concept of embodiment today, I'm not simply talking about self-care. That is incredibly important, especially in stressful times and situations. But on a deeper level, what I hope you understand from this is that your body is worthy of great respect. It does a lot for you. It breathes automatically just so that you can have oxygen to fuel your brain and your movements. Your body is your work's greatest and most precious tool of creation. It's more priceless than a Guarnieri violin or an extra large tube of cadmium red. Your body is the home of your soul and your mind, and you cannot create without either your body or your soul. You are more than your body, but you are not less than your body. So come back home into your own skin. This week's recommended read isn't a book, it's a practice. I want to encourage you to put Troy's meditation into practice this week. Maybe there's an app or a piece of music that you like that's really calming to you. Two that I've been using, which are spiritually focused, are the One Minute Pause app and the new Stephanie Gretzinger album called Forever Amen. But choose whatever helps you to calm your instinctive mind, the one that wants your body to key up for fight, flight, or freeze. Whenever you notice tension or pain or anxiety, take a moment to just slow your breathing and be still, even for one moment. Something that I like to do is breathe in to a count of four, hold it for a count of seven, and breathe out to a count of nine. You can do this wherever you are, no matter what position you're in, whether you're at your easel or sitting on the couch. But take this time where there's less stimulus around you to really get to know your body again and to really appreciate it for what it does for you and for your work. Thank you for joining me for this week's Vesperisms. If you've enjoyed the podcast so far, I'd like to invite you to consider supporting it financially. If you're able to give a little once or monthly, it helps me as a freelance artist to devote the time and to hustle just a little bit less in this uncertain time. 
If you'd like to give, go to anchor.fm slash Vesperisms, and thank you so much. And I want to hear from you. That link is also the place where you can leave me a voice message to let me know what you'd like me to talk about on this podcast, or your thoughts about this episode. I'd love for you to follow me on Instagram at Vesper Illustration and subscribe to my newsletter at VesperIllustration.com to get news about my work and a free outtake chapter from my newest book, A Cloud of Outrageous Blue, which happens to be about a girl discovering her creative gifts at the onset of the Great Plague of 1348. So please consider pre-ordering the book wherever you love to buy books, especially your local independent bookstore. Music for Vesperisms is provided by Ben and Vesper. At this time more than ever, your voice and your body are important. Your contribution matters. And just remember, work isn't everything, but everything is the work. See you next time.